I haven't I haven't been on 4chan in like fifteen oh, years. Yes, you have. Okay, I haven't been on 4chan in like five years. That might be closer. Yeah. Not, not since I had, not since I met Tumblr. And now I'm clean. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 4chan is a gateway drug to Tumblr. <laughs> don't tell them that. They think they're at war. No, they don't. They think they're dating. Oh, yeah. Well, it's kind of the same thing. Tumblr's 4chan's girlfriend, right? Yeah. Ever since Tumblr outfucked 4chan. (laughs) When uh, 4chan were planning the the DDoS on Tumblr, and so a load of Tumblrs just reposted the infographic on 4chan, but with 4chan's own IP address (laughs) in the Ion Cannon instructions. So they got a load of B-tards to Ion Cannon themselves. (laughs) It's basically the equivalent of just taking the this side towards enemy sticker and putting it on the other side. Shall we begin? Yeah, we were just doing an awkward silence to make you feel bad. Oh! I know something I need to tell you people. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. This is the you're going to take over the world speech, isn't it? It might be. Oh, okay. And welcome to World One Stage One. I am Simon, and joining me as ever is Jack. Yeah, he is. And Jack. Yeah, he is. The other Jack, the Irish one. There we go. There we go. I was just trying to be confusing. Oh, thank you. So yes, I have something to tell you, people. Is it that we're live and recording? Well, well, recording. No, we're not. We are recording. This is recorded and not live. Cool. Um, uh, we're dead on air. No, it's that something turned up um, that I bought on eBay. My pants? No, my Walkman. Oh, Wait, what? finally turned up. Oh! Oh. I now own a TPS L2 Sony original Walkman, as seen on screen in Guardians of the Galaxy. How much did that set you back? I don't want to say. Oh, dude. It was more than I was expecting, and I all—I sort of bought it by accident, but now I've got it, so... Yay! Wow. Yay! Uh, and it's, it's not working, but I think it's repairable, so it might even be playing Awesome Mixtape Volume 1 by the time we get to Ame. Excellent, and I am ordering my suit for Ame. <laughs> Okay, there was giggling off mic there. Yeah, uh, hang on, let me let me see if I can find it. Oh, find it the giggling. I'll find the giggling and I'll end it. <laughs> find him and kill him. There you go. This is all going to go to the show notes, I'm sure. We need to discuss no. about Amicon after, after the show. We do need to discuss about Amicon. Correct. 
Because I sent a fucking message at the beginning of the weekend. I was like, yes, I am done. I am accomplished. And I saw your message there. I was like, wait, what? And I looked through it and it was gone. I'm like, no, Facebook, no. Now that is a pink suit. That is impressively pink. It is. Hmm. I'm going to be dapper as shit, yo. That's a word? Yep. You're going to be something. You're going to be very something. Something something that you're going to be is pink. Yep. I was going to show Will. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, gentlemen, other than buying pink suits and expensive, obsolete uh, consumer electronics, how are we? That's fine. I got a very up-to-date electronic. What did you get? Was it a new 3DS? No, 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 no. Uh, Well, basically, my phone was due for an upgrade. Ah. And and in this household, uh, for the last six, seven years, we've done a situation where Jenna has my upgrade and I have hers, as and when they arrive. And her iPhone was on its way out, so we went into looking to get her a new phone. And she was expecting to get a 5S, but I went, fuck it, and ordered her a 6. That arrived last Wednesday, and I had it in my bag, and it was with me during my work day. Got home, gave it to Jen, she looked over the box and went, you got me a 6 plus? I was like, did I? Oh God, what did you do? I checked over my order, and I was like, no, no iPhone 6, and we checked it out, they had sent us an iPhone 6 Plus. Ah. Yeah. You had bonus inches. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Yeah. Amazing. So, Jen had a, go- had a quick go of it, and she was like, mm. <laughs> It's a bit big in my hands. Hey! <laughs> Does she have trouble closing her hand around it? Just a tad. God damn my it. Hands for hands. You don't need my hands. <laughs> um, Welcome to so Walk I... Stage One, a mature <laughs> podcast. Yes. Only for mature people. <laughs> so I logged into her orange account to order her a new SIM that card. That's what you're calling it now. I'm going to stop here. To pick up from town. And uh, once I logged in, it went, you are due for an upgrade. And I was like, "Ah, is she? Okay. We checked. And yeah, she was due for an upgrade like a year ago. Unbeknownst to us. So she decided the six plus is too big. Uh, I'll get a six. And I went, well, since you're not using it, she gave me her six plus. So now, awesome! I now have an iPhone six plus, and Jenna has an iPhone six, and they each. I have to admit, mm-hmm. I have been really regretting not getting the six plus lately. It's because uh, I cane my battery, and I'm typically out of battery by lunchtime. Wow! Uh, so if I wasn't at an office where I can just plug in during the day, <clears> I would not make it through a day. Yeah, I, six I'm plus su- battery life is amazing. Yeah, I'm super surprised by the battery life. Like I wasn't expecting the length. Of well, the, what do you think they did with all the bigger case? They just yeah, put more battery. Put more in it. battery in it. You know um, what? That's that's something I've had to get used to now. Owning a smartphone is 
charging the battery not once a week but once a day <laughs> yep <laughs> i'm gonna have to do that with my watch soon oh god damn oh you're not uh... of course i am of course <laughs> out of everyone you know who was most likely to the apple whore yes indeed I am going to be lining up on the 10th to pre-order. Oh, Jesus Christ, dude. At least I'm not getting the expensive one. Yeah. And by the expensive one, I don't mean the £10,000 one. I mean the actual, like, the 500 and something pound one. Christ. Uh, um, yeah, it's, it's great. Guess how much it cost me. Well, it was an upgrade, yeah? Yeah. So probably... Uh, you got a really good deal. I'm going to guess 150, 200 pound. I'm going to guess the Maharaja's diamond <laughs> and threepence. Uh, it cost me nine ninety nine. Nice, nine hundred and ninety nine pounds. You fucking mental. Nine pounds, ninety nine pence. You pleb. Oh, all right then. That's pretty good. Check it. Check in the uh, equivalent package for the iPhone six plus. If I'd ordered it on purpose, <laughs> the phone would have cost me one hundred and twenty nine ninety nine. Ah, so I would have been close if it actually saving of over three hundred and fifty pounds, <laughs> as my knowledge of maths goes. Mm. So someone, so some someone done goofed at the EE warehouse. And I'm yeah. reaping the benefits. So I bet it was that? Bacon. Awesome. I bet it was Kevin fucking Bacon. <laughs> Kevin <top>. Bacon. <laughs> Damn you, Bacon. He couldn't bear to think of your buffering face. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, you had an experience with with Jenna. Jenna, Jenna is immensely happy with her new phone because her her 4S was really was starting to give up the ghost. Something chronic. Yeah, they're they're barely supporting that one now. Yeah, and it was just it wasn't charging very well or practically charging at all. And uh, so now she's got a sparkly new six, and she's happy as Larry. Awesome. Whoever this Larry is, that he's so happy. She's you know, he's a happy chappy. Speaking of which, <laughs> has anyone seen any films this week? Or- <laughs> that was a good segue. <laughs> I'm, I'm nice. really fucking good at these. Nice. <laughs> Especially since Happy Chappie is the origin of his name in the film. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've so seen- I take it you've gone to see it then? I have. I've seen films, but not this one. Oh. Ah. Just I've also do, seen films including this one. Ah. What did you make of it, Jack? Of Chappie? Yeah. I thoroughly, thoroughly loved it, but the endings, plural, I don't know. I, I, was, I think I was expecting something very different from Blomkamp. Okay. Like, I was expecting... It, it, I'm not going to give any like spoilers, but if I talk about themes and stuff, that is kind of a spoiler. So I was Does it change your different. mind to know that this is the first time Blomkamp wrote a film as part one of a trilogy? This is going to be a trilogy. He's got treatments for the next two. Right. So it depends how the reception is, but this was written as part one. Right, okay. I didn't, weirdly, I didn't get, like, part one of a trilogy feeling from it. Like, you know, there are certain films where you know they're aiming towards something yeah. bigger. I think in this case he wrote it to stand alone in case it didn't succeed, but to set up the trilogy in case it did. It's New Hope. 
Yes. Yeah. Which kind of, I guess, was part of a set. No, it was a non, non, non a, never mind. Um, so yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Um, it, it's, it's taught me that the way I can learn to like sympathize and, and feel attached to a childlike character is if they are a seven foot tall killbot. Yes, that <laughs> yeah. helps. Your fucking um, titanium baby. Yeah, he was fucking adorable. He really was. Like, oh, just everything. Like when he comes home from his first day out in the real world, it is oh. absolutely heartbreaking. I lost my arm, mummy. Oh, god damn it. Just, oh. But yeah, um, for anyone who doesn't know what the hell we're talking about, Chappie is uh, the latest film from District 9 uh, director Neil Blomkamp. And it's the expansion of his sort of early short film, Tetraval, about a robot police officer. And it's about the awakening of this uh, robot into a, an actual conscious artificial life form uh, that learns as a child and grows up extremely quickly Yeah, uh, in Johannesburg, dealing with uh, gangsters in... It's a sort of near future, even more lawless Johannesburg. Yeah. It's a really, really... I, to me, what I love about his work when he's dealing with Joburg is he's got this completely non-Hollywood voice. It sort of deals with but, very different themes to what your average Hollywood film would deal with in the same situation. Yeah, it's why Elysium didn't work for me, because it was a Hollywood film. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's still... It, it, it sort of did a very Blomkamp thing, which is, is it's, it's tackling something that isn't done a lot in films. At the moment, yeah. which is like, uh, I mean, a lot of Hollywood films tend to tackle issues, you know, the issues of maybe five, six years ago. Um, it's weirdly enough, I was trying to figure out exactly what the the topic was with uh, with Chappie because Rowan and I were discussing it. We were like, well, we were expecting it because it's it's you know Johannesburg, it's a, it's a dystopian sci-fi, and it's about robot police force. They quite clearly were going to go with something that was all about you know. Uh, police corruption and, and and the idea of like too much power in a police state, and I didn't really get that from the film. No, um, to me, yeah, it was about consciousness and innate morality. Yeah, I couldn't help but notice there were two very prominently Christian characters. Oh, uh, yeah, and it was very key. Uh, spoilers, mild spoilers for Chappie. Uh, the story is about, well, it's about Chappie, but there's a subplot about two engineers who work for Tetraval, one being Dion, the creator of Chappie, who is a, uh, played by Dev Patel. Who is awesome. Who is awesome, yes. And he's the, the British genius who is fascinated with consciousness and making a real AI. That's his passion, is making a thinking machine. And he's working at Tetraval for the resources, even though it means he has to make these police scout robots. And then there's Vincent, played by Hugh Jackman, who is a former soldier, uh, special forces. He's a weapons expert, and he's built this Ed 209-like massive flying weapons platform monstrosity. <laughs> he's a fucking nutcase. And he sells it that the heart and the core of that machine is a human being that can make moral choices. And the the moderate spoiler is, yes, that thing is a Chekhov's gun that they polish up and do let off by the end of the film. Oh, God, and, do they? And when they let it off, it is controlled by a human being, and that's the problem. 
Yep. Mm. Uh, so Chappie is inherently good, despite being raised in the underworld. And Vincent, this you know former soldier, Christian man, is a monster. And I, to me, the the core theme seemed to be morality and where we get our morals. Yeah. No, that's pretty good. And I was thinking that and parenthood. And parenthood, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and uh, also, just let's have a lot of fun getting DeAntwood on camera. Yeah. Because <laughs> they were amazing in this. Because it was that kind of weird, uh, what's it called? Uh, this weird art collective vibe to a lot of the film, the, the whole South African underground thing. Mm. And really, really cool setting. I mean, you, you compare it to, say, District 9, where... You know, you had, it was you all the slums, the slums. And then we were just basically grey and no personality to them, because they were like, you know, this, this is the alien nest, essentially. It was shanty towns. It was a yeah. refugee centre writ large. And this is this is all like it's the urban sprawl. It's it's this like decay and also but these bright colours and the music and oh I fucking loved it. Absolutely loved it. <laughs> the, the, the 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 set work and set. Well, it's not even set design, is it? It's just oh man, so so well done um, and mm. brilliant acting all around. Um, and and it's a film where you can look at a very specific point and go. That is where we we could have had absolutely no problems and everyone could have ended up happy. <laughs> and that is if Dion had just chilled the fuck out and planned <laughs> a pitch for 20 minutes before running into Sigourney <laughs> Weaver's office, none of this would have happened and we would have all been fine. Yeah. <laughs> if he just that sat was there another and said, thing. Um, that I really pulled from this film mm. was it was a very subtle thread, but there were three foreigners, uh, all of them privileged foreigners who had come to Johannesburg to exploit its problems for their own profitable ends. Oh, oh! I hadn't even picked up on that. Ooh, ooh, that is good. That's a good point. Yeah, it's it's a really fun film. It's been a little bit panned by the critics, but the oh. audiences seem to love it. Yeah. And I mean, we certainly recommend it. Absolutely. Go see it if just to see Dev Patel Dev Patel's character attempting to 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 be angry at someone. Oh, I I love every scene where he starts yelling at Ninja. <laughs> I just I, love it, like you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a bad you're a shitty person. You're a filthy away. bad shitty man. <laughs> Don't let them crush your creativity, Chappie. <laughs> Embrace your creativity. You'll make a demand. It is so fucking beautiful. But yeah, yeah, it's also like, it's full of other, you know, Blomkamp's other tropes of like, thoroughly despicable bad guy, plus also good guy, bad guy, also not great people. Like, mm. ninjas are a bit of shit. Ninja's like, a lot of a shit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just summing it up, you know, in sort of... To, to not go into all the shitty things he does, but my God, do you feel for him by the end? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's not quite redemption, but it is sort of like a... Ninja and Yolandi uh, are definitely sympathetic characters by the end yeah. of this film. I mean, so so so's, uh, so's America, and... Yeah. There's a, there's a character called America. I don't, I'm not insisting that... That's a weird thought out of context. <laughs> America Holmes. 
Um, yes, America. <laughs> He's a bad fuck what? mother. America Holmes isn't really his name. It's just that as Chappie is being introduced to people, he calls himself Holmes and someone else calls him America, so Chappie dubs him America Holmes. Right, okay. And it is it is awesome, and then it's just like, yeah, sitting there, and it's a ch- them teaching a child how to speak, so it's just suddenly Chappie going, yo, Chappie's a bad fuck mother, and it's like, oh, it's so beautiful to hear. <laughs> There's, it's one of my favourite scenes in the film. My favourite scene in the film is a montage of Chappie stealing cars to order. Um, but With the fist one of out my the window. Fav- yes. But one of my favourite <laughs> scenes is when Dion, Dev Patel's character, comes back to see Chappie uh, with no sense of how much Chappie has evolved, and he's brought him a chicken. He's brought rubber him a rubber chicken. Because oh, when they first, the first met, day, he brought him a rubber chicken. Yeah. yeah. So he's brought him another one. You know, I've got a friend for your rubber chicken, Chappie. And Chappie's like, where the fuck you come here? <laughs> oh dear. Chappie, you must not use that sort of mother. <laughs> you must not <laughs> disrespect me. I am your creator. And then Dev's like, it's like, oh God, he's been raised by these people in this place. Oh my, my, my creation is, is, it's Chav. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's, that is what he is it's um i've been really reading up about um funnily enough deantwood since watching this yeah and they espouse this culture called zeph which you see a lot of in this film which is, uh, it, it is like i saw a fit like a um sky interview type thing about zeph oh yeah yeah well, that was interesting in the lead up to this the release of Chappie. And I was like, hmm. Oh, okay. It's something that Deant would have really been pushing uh, and embracing. And as near as I can tell, it's imagine if Chav became a, a reclaimed word and the Chav sort of used it with pride and took everything that was Chavy to a further extreme to embrace it and deliberately make their haters uncomfortable. Right. Uh, that's what Zeph is. It's the, the Afrikaans going, Oh, is it cheap to wear a gold chain? I'm going to wear five. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and that's the culture that Chappie is raised in. Yeah. Because I think when you mentioned Afrikaans, like the language and so on and so forth, did, did you, you, remember, you remember like the, the other thoroughly despicable character, Hippo? Hippo. Why was he And his subtitles. subtitles. I, well, right, I wondered that. And then Zoe was like, well, I couldn't understand him. Oh. So... Clearly, they'd had test audiences where not everyone could. Because there were certain times I couldn't quite understand him and the, 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 the subtitles helped. But overall, I found him just about as understandable as, as um, Ninja. I think Yolandi. Yeah. I mean, Yolandi yeah. I can understand all the time. I don't know. what. I, maybe she just... I'm not sure what it was about her voice that maybe it made it more recognisable. But I think maybe, maybe Ninja like slurred his words a bit more a little bit. Mm, mm. Well, Hippo did lapse into actual Afrikaans occasionally. Yeah, well, just, it was one or two little words. words here and there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, for some reason, they chose to subtitle this one character throughout the whole well, and, film. And, and, uh, and King, but he was, in fact, he was not, in fact, speaking English, so that made sense. Yeah, yes. Subtitling the actual Afrikaans was fine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, a bit of product placement for Sony, but if you can get your head past that, yeah, it's you, an extremely fun get, film. If you can get ten PlayStation fours, you can do some crazy shit, man. Well, actually, that I mean, it's it's based on the fact that the PS3 was uh, a machine you could override and turn into a Linux box, uh, and you could actually Beowulf cluster them into a supercomputer. It was done, 
so that's what they were, you know, drawing from for that scene. Yeah. Where Chappie does indeed Beowulf cluster a whole pile of PlayStation 4s to make a, a handy little supercomputer. Uh, Chappie, what have you got there? It's just a neural helmet, mommy. <laughs> Reach your thoughts. <laughs> uh, wow. I, it's, it's great. So yeah, go see it. Irish, what have you been to see? I've not been to see anything. I've just seen a lot of films recently. Ah, okay. Catching up on some some films that I should have seen by now, which I haven't done. So uh, finally seen Maleficent and uh, The World's End oh. the other day. Finally caught, finally caught up. And, uh, Book of Life I've seen as well. Uh, and some others, but I can't remember. Oh, we've been to Manami. Oh, yeah, we went to Manami. Yep. And one evening. Yeah, you guys had your uh, con weekend. We did. We had our first con weekend of the year. Indeed. Yeah. Next and the bits shortly. I remember were really good. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason I decided to stop drinking until I Yeah. Well, Sunday night was uh, an interesting yeah. evening. Did I did I put fairy wings on a man and repeatedly just do a really shit Winnie the Pooh impression? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm fairly certain I did that. And you were wearing them at one point. That is also well. true. Until they got loose from like over twanging. It happens. Uh, I, oh yeah. Just, you twanged just your fairy to say, wings. Okay. Jay just told me to say to you, Shuichi. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've also agreed to do that costume for next Manami, yeah. <laughs> I don't forget, don't worry. I don't forget. I don't forget. So yeah, it was very, very good and also a lot of fun. And Ami is going to be even better because guess who's going to be there? All of us. Yeah, boy. It's it's going to be an experience. It's going to be emotional. Yes, probably. It certainly is. Is vomiting an emotion? Uh, depends how hard you do it. Awesome. Excellent. Oh, I did also see another film as well. We went and saw Jupiter Rising. Jupiter Ascending. Ascending. Sorry. I literally got two films jammed together in my head then. That was really weird. Jupiter Ascending. How much awesomely over-the-top space opera bullshit fun is that movie? I, oh my god, I loved it so fucking much. Like, when I was looking at this, I was thinking, is this how everyone else was sort of reacting to Avatar? Like yes, it's basically. beautiful and bullshit story, but it, it it knows that and it loves that and and also it's so yes. beautiful. As someone who loves both those films, yes, it's yeah. the same reaction. Brilliant. Okay, excellent. Because I got that with this one, and just hang on a minute, I'm going to see if I can try and find it. Is that just that list of of reasons to go and watch Jupiter Ascending? <laughs> uh, and it is a very short list. Uh, How do you feel about Mila Kunis being an undocumented Russian immigrant toilet cleaner who is secretly a princess who is in charge of space and owns the planet? This movie has everything. Russian cleaning ladies, immortal space princesses, Channing Tatum as a hunky rollerblading space fox, a hot tub that will make you live forever, a gentle caress from the Oedipus complex, bees. (laughs) Bees! Sean Bees. Sean Bean. (laughs) Yes. Bees! It's a fucking brilliant film. It's it is it's it's it is beyond wonderful. And I remember specifically when when we were getting up and leaving the, the IMAX cinema, and Rowan turned to me and said, "What did you think?" 
And I've paused for about, it must have been a good 20 to 30 seconds before I was like, I think Eddie Redmayne won an Oscar a week ago. (laughs) (laughs) Right. My favorite thing about Eddie Redmayne's performance in Jupiter Ascending is the knowledge that uh, I think it was Lana Wachowski kept telling him to play it like an accountant. (laughs) Okay. So I kept, I told Zoe this on the way into the screen. So I would keep turning to her throughout the film and going, who the fuck is his accountant? Okay. What really confused me was that fucking, uh, you know, the the elder, the elder son, you know, uh, is it Balen? Yeah, yeah. Like he's an old man when you see him the first time. In the, yes, Eddie Redmayne with talcum powder in his hair, um, and he speaks like an old man. Yes, and his sister is an old lady and speaks like a girl in her twenties. Yep. And then they go through the rejuvenation and she becomes a girl in her 20s and she sounds the same. Eddie Redmayne goes through his regeneration, becomes a dude in his 20s and still sounds like an old man. Zoe has a theory about that and it works for me. Yeah? He also wears a high collar throughout. The sort of thing you might wear if you're hiding embarrassing scars from when some uppity dog man tore your throat out. Oh. Ooh. Yes. Ooh. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. I mean, I like that. Yeah, I like that apparently. <laughs> yeah. I've not seen it, so. You need to. Yeah, yeah. The word to describe it, if you have to choose a, a single word to describe that movie, it's either lavish or unapologetic. <laughs> I like kablamo. That's how I would describe it. <laughs> kablamo. Kablamo. For me, it's unapologetic because yeah. it knows exactly what it is. And it knows exactly it. what it's doing. And it's going to do that as hard it, as it can. Does it love doing it? Oh, God, yes. There is so much love in that film. It has given itself such an erection by doing what it's doing. Because it fucking loves dogs. <laughs> I love dogs. I am so hard right now. I saw that as uh, one of the... Uh, Great Valentine's card memes popping up on Tumblr. <laughs> Roses are red, violets are blue. I love dogs, always have. <laughs> oh, my favorite one of that is roses are red, uh, roses are grey, violets are grey. I'm a dog. I can't see colours. Uh, like Sean Bean is just is just wonderful. He really is. He's he's a bee man. <laughs> and bees don't lie. Ah, uh, beeswax. Bees. And it's the fact that it's it's just his sharp voice. Yes, it's his sharp voice for a space roser who is a bee man. Sharp if he was a space bee policeman. <laughs> I. Oh, I want to. As opposed to space him. dog on magic rollerblades. Yes. <laughs> what? Jenny said. This, this is another thing I have seen in this film. Is Space that, Dog? Yeah. Always. Yes. What I, what Space I, Dog Man on Magic Rollerblades. Dog Man is important. Space Wolf Man. Let's, let's, let's you know, give him credit where credit's due. Well, he says he's got more in common with the dog, so... Than Mila Kunis. Yeah. I guess Wolf has more in common with a dog than it has with Mila Kunis. That's true. Yeah. Okay, Space Wolf Man yeah. with Magic Rollerblades doing flip kicks. In slow motion. In the sky. What what I love what I love about that though is the fact that throughout most of that film, you've got you've got basically throughout the entire film, you've got Mila Kunis going between either 
beautifully extravagant dresses with these beautiful like uh, veils and and flowing everything or she's in very practical fighting gear yes for the other like and whilst all this is going on Channing Tatum spends half that film topless yeah and i'm okay with both of these i things. was okay with that as well yeah that was brilliant <laughs> worked for me yeah i also loved like the the bounty hunters especially the cyber goth with the jet bike, whose control surfaces weren't attached to the body of her jet bike. Oh, it was so. It's like if if Tetsuo's bike went to the next step. Canada's bike, sorry. Well, I guess you see what Tetsuo's I mean uh, when I said that I want to see everyone who was involved in the visual effects of this movie to work on something in the 40k universe. Yes. Oh God, yes. Oh, flying uh. space cathedrals. They put a cathedral on a spaceship that was gold. I mean, they've already done something in the 40k universe. And I've got to admit, they they really do a good job of ignoring, like, not ignoring, but, like, sidestepping the creepy and just letting it sit there and be unaddressed with the whole, wow, you're essentially a perfect clone of my mother. Let's get married. Oh, no, I thought that... That creepiness Ugh. was front and centre, just being stroked casually in front of you. They never, no one draws attention to it. No one at any point goes, but, you know, Mila Kunis at no point goes, but aren't I basically your mum? And no one draws attention to it. Like, no one mentions it out loud, but it's, it's there, sitting there like a, like a big incestuous boil. Oh. And... Uh- and this was made by uh, the Wachowskis. Oh, uh, of course Wachowskis. it was. I never know pronounced it. Wachowskis. Yes. That that explains an awful lot. Oh. It does. The Wachowskis got an awful lot of money and creative freedom, and what resulted was magnificently stupid. Yep. Because I mean, what was the what was the last thing they did? Uh, Cloud Atlas, wasn't it? Was that a oh, goal? Okay, for another. I was going to say, it wasn't Speed Racer, was it? That was ages ago. No, that was before Cloud Atlas, yeah, definitely. No, Speed Racer. No, 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 Speed Racer. No, no Speed no, Racer. No. No. <laughs> Never again, Speed Racer. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Bees. Bees. Bees and Sean Bean. I know we're trying to avoid the topic. No, this, but... this, is the, this is basically my thing, right? Is that Sean Bean, you know what, with that, with that gravelly voice and that, that thoroughly not willing to put up with any amount of shit, what I'm wondering is why has Sean Bean never played Vines? That would work. Yeah, that would work. He could ride a Segway right into our episode. <laughs> he could. <laughs> also, yes. also, on the sadder note, what does Sean Bean do in a lot of his films? Die. Yeah. That's the segue I thought you were going to make. Oh, I didn't. I wasn't going to go with that. Did he die? Not going to tell you. Just bees. I'm just Just bees. bees. That's all you need. Bees don't lie. Bees don't lie. Oh my god, that was my favorite line in the entire goddamn film. (laughs) Just just very casually, just very casually says, "Bees don't lie." And it stuck with me, and I literally, I just when we got home and we were just discussing it, and I just went, I just looked at Rowan and went, "Bees don't lie, you know my bees don't lie. They start to sting me now." Allergic <laughs> reaction. I, 
It was it was the best. Hello? But we ought to deal with the topic. Yes, yes, we should. As much as we don't want to. It's so yes, world, we were inspired. It's a world of discs. It is a world of discs. World it's it's disc elephants one. all the way down. Um, yeah, so we were inspired by the tragic loss, of course, of Terry Pratchett uh, to talk a little bit about his work, which is primarily going to be the disc world, and uh, yeah. acknowledge his passing. This is I'm going to assume... This is yeah. a of our episodes as of late. 2015 is going to give us a lot of tribute episodes, apparently. Yeah, apparently. Better not give us so. any more. No. Uh, but I assume that everyone on this show has read at least one Discworld novel. If not many. No. Oh. I have never read a Discworld novel. I've played, huh. some, I've played some of the games, but I've never read a novel. Wow. Have you read any of Pratchett's work? No, not that I can think of. Huh. Yeah, I I am the layman. So uh, Well, we are putting you on a mandatory course of reading at oh, least good omens. Oh oh I yes. I oh, God, I've, yes. I've, I've I've since this I've searched out the 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 you know the reading guide, essentially. Yeah. So I'm gonna start with God's guards. Ooh, good choice. I I always suggest if people getting into Pratchett, I always suggest Mort first. It was going to be between Mort and Guards Guards. Mort's a good start. Yeah, Mort gives you a very good. It it spends a lot of time giving you a good overview of the way the world works. Guards Guards give you a very very good overview of the way Ankh-Morpork works. So, if you want more about the Disc World, Mort. If you want more about where most of the story, most but not all, but where most of the stories are set, Guards Guards. I like you get both. Yeah, you get all of them. I mean, what we're talking about is the setting of Terry's most famous stories with... I don't even know how many books set in this world. Can we have a look? Uh, uh, yeah, by all means. I would guess it's over 20 at this point, over, given oh, the... Well over, well over. Uh, yeah. Uh, which is the Discworld, a world carried on the back of a giant spacefaring turtle by four elephants, uh, proceeding through space to a destination only Great R2 in the world turtle can see. Uh, it's a world of magic, with water cascading off the edge in the rimfall, and the giant peak of Cori Celesti where the gods dwell in the centre. 41 novels. Yep. Well, the 41st, wow. is, 41st is being uh, published later this, this year. year. Yeah. Is that including the uh, Tiffany Aching spin-offs and things? That is just the novels. It's not calling the short stories, the maps, the science books, and so on. Well, those were novels, but they weren't sort of mainline continuity. So I assume they're being counted. Uh, Hmm. But, um, I mean, regardless, uh, it started as a very sort of... I'm not going to say cheap, but a very direct parody of fantasy novels with the first couple of books having um, sort of direct uh, parallels of Conan. Uh, And early on, there was a lot more about the perils of magic luring eldritch gods from the dungeon dimensions. Oh, I missed the dungeon dimension. But what happened was over the years... 
Terry wrote this huge, complicated cast of recurring characters, mostly dwelling in the city of Ankh-Morpork. Uh, the fusing together of the cities of Ankh and Morpork. Yep. Uh, and they all evolved lives of their own, and the books became this deeply complex satire of the world that Terry was in writing them. Uh, out went the cheap fantasy stereotypes, and in came, towards the end, what was basically an industrial age modernization of Ankh-Morpork that dealt with some very, very modern social issues. Oh, yeah. And and that's I mean that's what you exactly want in your fantasy and your sci-fi things is things that you know draw attention to uh, to situations that you're going to be seeing in your real you know your real life day to day stuff. And Terry did it with such a beautiful, cruel little jab at everything. <laughs> that, oh, it was oh, beautiful to see. I mean, everything in there, all the, all the puns, all the wordplay on everything. Um, all the, the the rolling cannon with every single every single species of of person that you'd meet on the disc world was meticulously thought out and had this this rolling ideas going behind them. So you know the trolls, the dwarves, the uh, the elves when you very very rarely ever saw them. Thank fuck, because elves are awesome. They inspire. They inspire awe. awe. They are wonderful. They are full of wonders. <laughs> the elves in the Discworld are really mean fuckers. Um, vampires, werewolves, uh, pixies. Oh, pixies. Pixies, yes. P-I-C-T-S-I-E-S. <laughs> they are tiny, tiny Scottish barbarian like brownies. <laughs> Who have names like Big Jim. Medium-sized Jim, little Jim, not quite as little as little Jim, but bigger than medium-sized Jim, or something like that. I don't forget. Yep, yeah, it was along those lines. They're beautiful. I love what everything about. Them. And um, yeah, it's just ah, uh, it, it's referential to everything you could imagine. There's uh, a whole novel that riffs on Les Misérables. There's um, the dwarves are amazing uh, with uh, the watch is something that I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about tonight including Officer Cheery Littlebottom uh, <laughs> upon hearing that name Sam Vimes, head of the guard says, oh it's nice to hear traditional names making a comeback <laughs> so- <laughs> uh, yeah it's there's just so much imagination behind this world, and it is all, as you say, it's cutting. It's it's bitingly satirical. Neil Gaiman wrote a wonderful essay about uh, the real driving force behind Terry Pratchett's writing, mostly being anger. Yes, uh, and that comes across. Like it, it's 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 anger at you know people doing terrible things to other people. Yes, anger at societal injustice, anger at unfairness, anger at fate, uh, especially towards the end. Yeah. As as you would expect from a man who suffered from early onset Alzheimer's, uh, whose career and life had been driven by a quick wit, being forced to endure the uh, decline of his own mind. Yeah, and that this is going to be a, a, a I'm going to say to people all like straight from the get go. It's going to be a theme of tonight tonight's episode, guys. Is that 
we're going to just have to occasionally layer this with a bit of, oh. But it means that when we get onto the, the, the fun and the yay, it, it will really, really, really make up for it. Because we, we, we can't just sit here and make joke after joke after joke after joke. Because, you know, uh, I know we all we, we love his work and everything, so it, it would feel kind of weird just to make lots and lots of jokes. We, we got to occasionally just go, this, 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 this is a thing that happened, and it's very, very, very serious. Um, so there we go. If, you, if you're looking for a, a nothing but a feel-good episode... Go back to Metal Gear. Yeah, maybe, maybe, leave, this one for, <laughs> maybe leave this one for a little while and then come back to it. It's I, it's only because the work we're talking about is so strong, so powerful, and I, for one, grew up with it. Yeah, that the losses felt so very deeply, and also being from Cheltenham, uh, the town is host to the Cheltenham Literature Festival, a celebration of books and writers, uh, to which Terry was a frequent contributor. So I've actually met the man several times in my life, and. He's incredibly charming and free of his time and signs everything you put in front of him uh, <laughs> to the point that he has joked that unsigned copies of Mort are worth more for their scarcity. <laughs> <laughs> and Mort is indeed my favourite book. A lot of people's favourite, yeah. which is why that's the one he always jokes about. Certainly I'm I've just... got uh, a few signed ones. Mort was my first signed book, uh, closely followed by Colour of Magic because it was the first. Yep. Uh, Zoe as well. <laughs> Mort signed. Yep. Because um, Mort, ironically, is the first book to concentrate on what has become one of the most iconic figures of the disc world. And my favourite character. Death. Yes, I do like the death character. Death, who is ever present in the disc. There is not a Discworld novel he doesn't feature in, I believe. Because he was in the first one, wasn't he? He just sort of turned up. Had a near Rincewind experience. Yes. <laughs> he has many near Vimes experiences. Later on, it becomes near Vimes, but it started with Rincewind. Yeah. Uh, iconic characters, I'm sure we'll touch on them all. But Death is Death. He is the grinning skulled blue fiery eyed cowled scythe wielding figure who ushers those dearly departed of the disc into whatever awaits them which is one of the things i love about death on the disc there is no fixed afterlife it is very much driven by what you expect to happen to it's, you it's such a beautiful idea what your, your afterlife is what you expect or want it to be um so i mean there's i mean what's, what's the good example it's the is it the, the barbarian fellow that he's showing the the, the black desert too and he yes. says what's what's on the what's on the uh, what's at the end of it it says judgment and the guy looks at him and says which end and i quite liked that um i think there's there's a few good examples there's um obviously there's the history monk who never dies well he is reincarnated oh yes yeah yeah the, because the that's what he that. expects yeah uh, the Dalai Lama, basically, and yes. He asks, um, actually, well, I think Morse, I think it's, that is in Morse, isn't it? And Morse asks him what it's like to be reincarnated. And he says, well, the first nine months, the view's not great, but at least it's warm. <laughs> uh, Mr. Pin and Mr. <laughs> Tulip are a great example of the afterlife. Oh, because one gets reincarnated as a worm, is that right? A woodworm? Yes. Yeah. 
Um, and it's all based on the faith that uh, Tulip tries to, no, Pin tries to co-opt at the last minute. Yeah. Uh, tries to go for a deathbed redemption that is insincere. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, Death is is a magnificent character because he has this timeless exterior worldview on the disc, and he never causes death. He is only there when it happens. And that's that's another two of my favorite things. Is like again with with the you get what you are expecting. There's the, uh, the dwarf character that dies. Um, but their axe gets broken during their death. Um, so as death is sort of talking to them, this dwarf breaks down. He's like, no, now my soul must wander these halls forever, doomed to wander as a restless spirit. And there's just this really long pause, and then death just says, it doesn't have to. And the dwarf just looks at him and goes, well, it wants to. <laughs> I thought that, that was kind of nice. There's the, um, yeah, I've got the other thing I was going to say now about... Yeah, what do you expect? Then what did you say, Simon? Sorry. I don't know. Oh, we moved on to something else. I got confused. Had we? Yeah. No, I was just talking about Death's wonderful, wry, sort of exterior viewpoint on the disc. Yeah. Um, and w- Which makes him a great commentator. Oh, you know, yes. And the, the fact that he never... He's, people always say, you know, you kill people. Like, no, no, no. I They die, then I take them somewhere. Um, yes, the, the, there's a discussion of him in a graveyard somewhere, and they they say, uh, "What is it?" Um, I guess you must get sick of these places. And he says, "Well, actually, I, I very rarely come to graveyards. The people I meet have just died, so you know they they, they don't have an experience of being buried. And the ones that do, well, they're not very talkative." <laughs> yeah, that one's a very grim. <laughs> it is. Grim it's joke. fucking funny. But I mean, uh, death became such an iconic character with his all caps um, conversation. Yeah. You you may have in fact seen quotations from him recently, as of course Terry uh, saw himself out with a, a little closing dialogue on his Twitter feed. Oh, it still brings me to tears. Yeah, uh, but Death is the only character on the disc so notable and potent that he escaped into other literary universes. Yes, uh, with good omens, and indeed into the real world with a petition. True enough. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, Good Omens, um, oh, actually, before we do that, I just want to, uh, because we're going to be talking about Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, yeah. uh, another of my favourite writers, and I'm sure yours as well, Jack. My, my actual favourite author, yeah. And one you've read or not, Irish? Yes, I have read Neil Gaiman. Um, oh. I, I recently discovered that Mort was inspired by Neil Gaiman. Really? <laughs> All right. Yes. After the first couple of books, he said to Terry Pratchett, you know, you've got to write one about death. <laughs> and a week later, his phone rang and Terry's voice just went, you bastard, it's called Mort, and hung up again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Neil's copy is signed, as, of course, every copy of Mort is, uh, and his is personalised to Neil in the hopes that he'll never let on it was his idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Because they were great friends, which is why they collaborated on what is in my top five, certainly, books of all time, Good Omens. Yeah. The nice and accurate... Uh, ah, I can't even remember the nice, subtitle. Nice and accurate uh, prophecies of Agnes Nutter. Agnes Nutter, witch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is essentially what would happen if you got Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman to remake The Omen. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
with with uh, special guest appearances from Death as Death the Horseman, um, and uh, a, a demon called Crowley and an angel called Aziraphale. Who are the real stars of that novel. Yeah. They're magnificent. When you first met Aziraphale, you would notice two things. One, he was British, and two, he was gayer than a tree full of monkeys drunk on nitrous oxide. <laughs> nice. Of course, neither of these are true. Um, it, it, it teaches you very important lessons, like how every single car in the world has a cassette copy of the very best of Queen in it somewhere. Yep. Yep, Crowley's car definitely has one, even when it has nothing else, even when it's on fire and has no wheels. Um, <laughs> the fact that there are the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, there's, there's uh, death, war, famine, and pollution, because Pestilence decided that, it, it, you know, fuck this for a game of soldiers when humanity invented penicillin. He was like, they're not playing fair anymore, and he quit and was replaced <laughs> with Pollution, who is a creepy hippie who just sits there and occasionally pulls crisp packets out of his pocket and lets it drop on the floor. Now, the beauty of Good Omens <laughs> is it all involves a, uh, a mistaken identity mix-up at birth <laughs> of the Antichrist and a perfectly normal kid. So a perfectly normal kid gets raised where the Antichrist should have been, Meanwhile, all of the supernatural powers are overlooking the fact that the Antichrist is growing up in quite a nice kind of rural British setting. Yep. And becoming just a kid with the power of warping reality to his whim. And I can't remember the exact line about it, but someone tries to like read his aura at some point. Oh. And I forget what it actually is, but it's it's something along the lines of like they couldn't read his aura, it's like he didn't have one. Um, and and when they leave, it's just it's just the chapter ending on the reason they couldn't see his aura. It's exactly the same reason as people sitting in uh, as people standing in I forget where it is, but it's some some part of London. It's like why people standing in this part of London can't see London. Hmm. It's just like uh, and you go, huh? Oh God. Oh, my personal favourite line about him is my father is coming oh and the sound of a train but not going sideways going up from underneath <laughs> it's-, it's, it's a great book it's a collaboration between two brilliant men neither of whom will claim to have actually written it yeah. as far as I can tell they will both claim that the other did yeah when you say oh, I love this bit Neil will say that was Terry and Terry will say that was Neil um <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is. It is a fucking fantastic book. So, I mean, in, in, what is helping that bit is you can really you can't tell which bits were written by which people. It flows together so beautifully. Like there are a couple of standout lines where you can go, "Oh, that was definitely a Terry line," or "That was definitely a Neil line." But yeah, they have such really similar, like biting wit and wordplay and and love of their characters and worlds. This is just going to into a, like a gushy fangasm over these two. I do, I do apologise. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a tribute episode. Yeah, you know we should love the guy. <laughs> so, yeah, Discworld. I discovered when I was at school. We had a uh, a little school bookshop, and the idea was because it was a boarding school, you get a sort of prepaid account because your parents are encouraging you to read. Yeah. So every so often you've got a book on credit, so you can go and take a book from this shop. 
And I went and I saw the original softback printing of Color of Magic, which is this bright yellow-orange mess. Uh, mess. It's fantastically colourful. It's covered in interesting characters. It's all very dynamic. The original artwork was... Kirby? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's very distinctive if you see it, and it's it's going to appeal to a kid who's going, I'm looking for something interesting. <laughs> interesting. So I picked up... Yeah. I picked up Colour of Magic, which introduces you to a few of the disc's most iconic residents, even if some of them haven't been heard from so much since. Uh, well, after the first few novels, anyway. Uh, it's the story of an inept wizard called Rincewind, who I, I think a lot of people forget the reason he's inept is because he had one of the eight great spells of the disc in his brain, and no other spell would stay in his brain because they were all scared of it. That's why he couldn't learn any spells. I never read much Rincewind, so I didn't know that. That is wonderful. Oh, yeah, yes. Uh, he, as, on a dare, as a student, he opened the Octavo, the greatest grimoire of magic on the disc, yeah. and accidentally read one of the eight most powerful spells. Eight is a very significant number for wizards, uh, to the point that the Ankh-Morpork Pork Board Game Collector's Edition comes with a 12-sided dice that has the sides 7A and 7B. <laughs> uh. Oh... That's cool. Yeah, I, I rather like that. Wasn't uh, this so the yeah, one he that they uh, Sky One made into a movie or something? There were uh, yes. Did they turn color? Did they do color of magic? They did okay. do color of magic. They also did going postal and Hogfather. Um, and, Hogfather. and did they? Uh, that, yeah, that was it. I was thinking because I remember Death turned up at some point, voiced by one guy, and then they did Hogfather, and it was finally voiced by Christopher Lee. Yes. Uh, actually, when they did Color of Magic, it was pretty much Color of Magic and Light Fantastic combined. Because they're like two parts, aren't they? They they do tell the same story, yeah. Yeah. So Rincewind is, as I say, this inept wizard who, on a bet, filled his brain with the most da- dangerous magic in the world, and spells are alive on the disc, so other spells refuse to be near it. He is extremely good, however, at running away. He's really, uh, really good at that. Oh, yeah. And surviving somehow. So the wizards in general, the Unseen University and magic on the disc, is all iconic in and of itself. Yeah. Um, it changes a little from these sort of earliest uh, days, but it broadly sets up the university uh, and the magical system. It also sets up... Uh, Ank Morpork very nicely with uh, the mended drum, uh, the tavern with competitive bar brawling amongst <laughs> heroes, uh, and introduces Two Flower, a character who, after the introductory novels, you'll never meet again, Which and the luggage, who you will. Unfortunately. <laughs> right. Two Flower being a tourist from the other side of the world, who is largely a plot device because he is completely sure of himself and unaware of danger and hires Rincewind as a guide. And he's the reason Rincewind gets into most of the trouble he gets into. The luggage, on the other hand, is a self-aware box with legs that okay. eats people. It's right. made sapient pear wood. Yes, the most magical wood on the disc. 
Usually magical staffs are made of it, but because it, it's so expensive, much more than that would be a ransom. But somehow two flower can afford a whole box because it's full of gold. I forget someone someone mentioned something about having a, a toothpick made of sapient pear wood. Mm. And, and it being worth quite a lot. Yeah, because it does a really good job. It just it gets into all the crevices all by itself. It also introduces the librarian. Oh, uh, ook. 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 Don't call the librarian is, monkey. Don't. No, he's an orangutan. Yes. Uh, due to a magical accident that happened in the library. And, and that's, uh, that is the description I always remember the, of the librarian. Is it would go into great detail about the library, and it would have someone talking to the librarian. They'd give this long thing that they were saying, and then they would just say, Ook said the librarian who was an orangutan. Yep. Uh, they actually detailed the accident in, in Colour of Magic or Light Fantastic. Can't remember which. Mm. Uh, but yes, he's a wizard who is turned into an orangutan and frankly won't let anyone turn him back. He's enjoying being an orangutan. <laughs> <laughs> it makes life so much simpler. And the the librarian, funnily enough, is probably the most enduring character set up in those earliest books. Really? Uh, it's the orangutan and the patrician. Oh, is it the same patrician in the first books? Uh, yeah, the patrician is the patrician throughout. Ooh. His character refines a lot later, but the patrician is the benevolent tyrant who runs Ankh-Morpork. <laughs> and again, terrifying. Yes, but very intelligent in that he knows that basically what people want is for tomorrow to be the same as today. Yep. He was the man who declared that if there is going to be crime in Ankh-Morpork, it should be organised. Uh, so he set up the guilds, uh, the Assassin's <laughs> Guild, the Thieves' Guild, uh, to codify and turn into a business all crime in Ankh-Morpork. If you don't want to be robbed by the thieves of Ankh-Morpork, you pay your dues to the guild, and then you are a card-carrying, signed-up member of the guild, and people won't rob you. Huh. If any non-guild people rob you, the guild looks after the problem. Yeah. And there's also the, the 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 wonderful quote of someone like offering money to a specific thief rather than to the guild, and he says, "No, no, I can't take this much. You have to be part of the lawyers' guild to steal this much from someone." <laughs> <laughs> nice. Really, the only truly tyrannical thing Lord Veterinary ever did was the eradication of mimes. Oh God! Oh, great mime toll. <laughs> there's the there's the guild of fools. Yes, the Fool's Guild, uh, with plenty of clowning, but no mimes. Yes. It's, it's such, illegal. It's such a depressing place, is the, the Fool's Guild. It's just really sad clowns, really dejectedly throwing pies at each other. Aww. All under the guy, all under the fucking watchful stare of Dr. Whiteface. <laughs> Dr. Wrong. Whiteface a, is truly horrifying. I'm not a lover of clowns, but that's just depressing. No one is a lover of clowns. That is the entire point of the Fool's Guild. <laughs> it's one of my favourite cards in the Ankhmore Port Board game is the Fool's Guild uh, you play it on someone else and they either have to immediately pay $5 to avoid the effect or the Fool's Guild just sits there in front of them and counts towards their hand limit and they can't do anything it won't go away <laughs> it's, uh, so it's the same there are two cards that have exactly the same effect that one and foul old Ron and his gang. <gasps> Bugger it! Millennium Hand and Shrimp. <laughs> foul old Ron, an insane street beggar whose 
interesting form of dialogue, as Jack has just demonstrated, was created by feeding um, They Might Be Giants lyrics and a, a Chinese restaurant menu into an engine that chopped up the words and redistributed them. Amazing. And what, what's part of his crew? You've got the duck man, who's a man who keeps a duck on his head. And it's otherwise perfectly sane, except yep. he will not acknowledge the presence of the duck. If you ever say, why have you got a duck on your head? His only response will be, what duck? There's... There's the one who pulls himself around in a little carriage. Yep. There's the guy There's with... Altogether multiple... Edwards. Yes. Who has multiple personalities, all of them called Edward, is that right? No. No, no. <laughs> I no. don't think any of them are called Edward, actually. Oh, yes. They were, but they were all together Edward. That was the point. Yes. Um, and they all mentioned there's one personality that doesn't often come out, but they're all fucking terrified that one day he will. Mm. And it's just, it never happens, or at least it never happens in any of the books I was reading. And occasionally Gaspode the Wonder Dog, the intelligent mongrel who uh, became sentient twice by two different means. There was one case where it was like, was it Moving Pictures he became sapient? Yes, in Moving Pictures, uh, we learned a bit more about how... Uh, the spirit of things works in the disc. The spirit of movies just appeared and possessed the disc and they created films and it, it became a parody of Hollywood. And because talking dogs exist in films, Gaspode became self-aware and could talk. Right. And when the Hollywood magic went away, he went back to being a normal mongrel and was quite happy about it. But okay. then he went and slept by the Unseen University and the magic seeped into him and he became self-aware again and this time he couldn't get rid of it. Um, he, so he has told people his life story, such as that time he was put, someone put him in a bag and threw him into the river. But it being the Ank Moorhawk, being, being the river Ank, instead of sinking into the river and drowning, because of the consistency of the river, he had about enough time to undo the bag, get out, and calmly walk to the banks of the river. Right. And the river Ank As the- Moorhawk is, is commentary on London, and at the time the, the Discworld novels were being written, the, the Thames was notoriously badly polluted. Yeah, I think the one, the one thing that will always stick with me is the, the quote about the river Ank, which is, uh, if people ever dumped a body in there, the police could still make a chalk outline around them. Oh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. That, oh. Yeah, that is the one that always stuck with me, and maybe go, that is brilliant, I love that line. Yep. And speaking of the police... Oh, the watch. Introduced in another sort of one-off, uh, were never meant to stick around and become long-lasting characters, were the watch, who at the time consisted only of Sam Vimes. Who is an angry, as, not quite alcoholic. I, I think we can say functioning alcoholic. Yes, very well-functioning, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well... Sam has the interesting property that he uh, he exists in, rather than a state of natural sobriety, a natural nerdness, uh, where nerdness is the opposite of drunkenness. Uh, it's just drunk spelt backwards. <laughs> uh, and you need a drink to get to a level playing field. Yeah. Because there's that one time they give him super strength coffee to sober him up, and he just wakes up Clatchy screaming. and coffee. Yes, yeah, so he wakes up screaming, so they have to give him whiskey to like sober him up. Yep. Uh, so he's a bit like Bender in that regard. Yeah. He needs a good drink to get to a stable point. Yeah. Uh, then there's Sergeant Fred Colon, uh, who is a gentleman approaching rapidly approaching retirement age. He possibly is, long though. past retirement age. <laughs> uh, 
who likes to uh, lean in an alcove, have a cheeky cigarette, and pretend he didn't hear that person screaming for help. <laughs> nice. And Corporal Nobby Nobs. Who is... Who, is, it, is it human question mark? No, no, he has a signed bit of paper by the patrician that certifies that the bearer of the certificate is human. Ah, okay, cool. <laughs> the old- and he likes to also stay out of the wind and enjoy a cheeky fag, but when he hears someone scream for help, he waits a little while and then turns up to see if the victim's got anything left to rob. Yeah. He is, uh, was it, the, wow. the only person that... Yeah, these sid- are the police. The only person that can sidle forwards. Yes. <laughs> what? I, I love Nobby. The fact that every time people see him, they're just like, what are you? <laughs> and the watch grew to be one of the most complex and integral parts should, should of Discworld life. Should we of the other characters that join them? Should, should, Why not? Cheery little bottom. Well, I think we start with Captain Carrot. Oh, Carrot, the, the world's tallest dwarf. Yeah. Six foot eight or something like that. height has got nothing to do with being a dwarf. Yeah, exactly. He's a six <laughs> foot eight strapping young lad with a, a shock of red hair who... Uh, he was adopted, you might be uh, surprised to hear. <laughs> I think we, we applied the same description that people applied to Carrot to Mike, I believe, which was uh, when he went walking through the countryside... Um, people like bandits kept jumping out from behind rocks, looking at him, looking him up and down, and then going, "Oh, sorry, thought you were someone else." <laughs> people like Corporal Carrot have, sorry, people like Captain Carrot have very uneventful journeys. Yes, and uh, yes, his dwarven name meets headbanger because <laughs> uh, the mines were not cut with him in mind. Uh, and he comes to the disc. Uh, he comes to Ankmore Pork uh, to join the watch and have a nice, you know. Honourable profession in the city, and becomes the moral core of the watch. He's a good lad. He's basically Captain America. Yes, except that he's also possibly the one true king of Ankh-Morpork. Yes, there is that little little thing as well, which uh, it, it sort of hinted at little bits and pieces here until that wonderful conversation with the Patricia. Yes, and it's like. I, 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 whenever I read, I've reread that scene a hundred times, and I can't tell if if Carrot does know, and he's just saying it's okay. I'm not going to rock the boat, or if which he, is my theory. Yeah, or if he's honestly so stupid that he doesn't actually know. And that's the thing. Carrot is never as stupid as he appears. Yeah, he's very. Innocent. That's his strength. He's very naive, but not stupid. Uh, Sergeant Angua. <sighs> I love Sergeant Angua. She is a- if we're talking about Carrot, the natural next step is Sergeant Angua. Yeah. Who joins the when- Nordic blonde. She, she joins when all the sort of non-human elements of yes. the, the, the watch join. So you've got... Okay. She's from Uberwald, which is, which is basically Discworld Transylvania. And it's wonderful. It's full of Igors and werewolves and vampires and zombies and... I fucking love the Igors. I love... I, oh. Oh. <laughs> There are there are drought ridden countries that would pay Eagle or a small fortune to say the world the word sausages. Sausages. Yes, Matt. Eagles are dangerous because they will give you not what you ask for, but what you want. <laughs> and they will they have the superpower of always appearing right behind you. Yes, master. And no matter where you you could lock them in a cupboard. Then go into another room, say Igor, and he'd be right behind you. They're fucking terrifying. Igor. My favourite was the... Oh, it was 
Was it Rufus? No, uh, no. What's the the bad guy's name in Going Postal? Uh, the the pirate. Oh, uh, the one played by Suchet in the film. Mm, who had he has an Igor, and he becomes so obsessed with this particular supernatural power that he stands with his back to a pit and summons Igor. <laughs> who appears behind him and slightly to the side going, nice try, Martha. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love the Igors. They're wonderful. And there is one in the watch. Is there an Igor in the watch? Called Igor. Oh, well, yes. All, oh, yes. They're all called Igor, though. Uh, he, exactly. Or, or Igorina. Oh, yeah. Sorry. He's the, um, the watch doctor and pathologist. Of course. <laughs> Yes, Angua. There's Angua, yes, who is a werewolf right. with a very glossy coat and madly in love with Carrot. And I think... Carrot- in the way that only a werewolf can be yeah. because dogs are very loyal. And it makes her a very, very good policewoman because tracking and whatnot. And yeah. Also, you don't yes. fuck with a werewolf. No. Uh, Sergeant Detritus, who is... I would say probably my favourite member of the watch. Sergeant Detritus is amazing. I'm trying to remember when he first comes in uh, to the watch, because he starts off as a bouncer of the Mended Drum, the aforementioned tavern. Uh, I cannot remember the name of the dwarf he's partnered up with, who is the one who works out the mathematical trick of making him count in binary because he can get up to two all right. Yeah. uh, And turns Detritus into a mathematical genius. Because we never really see... Is it Cuddy? It's Cuddy, yes. Uh, We never really see him again. But (laughs) but Detritus and his... Hmm? Uh, Possibly because Cuddy died, I'm being told by Zoe off mic. He's the one that breaks his axe. Yes, of course he is. He becomes a ghost. Um, But Detritus and his mechanical uh, air-cooling hat... Stay around because <laughs> trolls are silica based, which means, like computers, they work better when they're cooled. And it's fine because they live at the top of mountains normally until they come down to Ankh Morpork, where it's quite temperate, and then they slow down and appear dumb. But uh, they're not. They're still violent, though. Oh, yes, still very violent. <laughs> but uh, Detritus uh, has a wonderful rehabilitation program for any trolls that have uh, become addicted to the various troll drugs that all start with S, it, like slab, slab, slide. Is it slab? Just say, oh, no, no, oh, no, please, no. It's, it's his one-step program. And <laughs> when interrogated about why it's the one-step program, one of the trolls replies, because if I put one step out of line, Sergeant Detritus will batter me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he is... He's, didn't he used to be a bouncer at the Mended Drum? Yes, he was. He's, like, he's fucking huge by troll standards. And he's stupid and he by troll standards. A, a movie star in... Uh, Oh, yeah. in uh, moving pictures and meets his wife, Ruby. Oh, yeah. And it's where you, like, you learn things like uh, troll teeth are diamonds. Yep. Uh, I think that's in soul music, isn't it? Like, yeah, if you, I think they have to pay for some musical instruments, so Detroit just punches him. Oh, it's not Detroit, it's... Um, oh, Grohoga. Rocky no, or something. that's the name of the music, but the, 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 um, the troll in that punches himself in the face to to get his to get some diamonds to pay for the instruments, and the response is, "I'm not having that. It's been in a troll's mouth." <laughs> to which uh, Glod replies, "You eat eggs, don't you?" Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Constable Dorful. 
is one of my favourite Watchmen. Is is Dorfel the 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 the, um, the imp? No, he's the golem. Oh, of course, from oh. Feet of Clay. Yes. Who becomes an absolute Robocop parody, even <laughs> down to Dead or Alive, You're Coming With Me. Wow. I love golems. I absolutely love golems. Pump 19. He's a pump. He pumps water. He was for a couple of hundred years. Yes. <laughs> what did you do down there, Pump 19, for a hundred years pumping water? I thought, about what? Pumping water. <laughs> and they're wonderful because I think uh, the, the the patrician veterinary has a, a he has a golem on staff, doesn't he? I think it's pump nineteen. Oh, is it? It is pump nineteen. He sends after lip uh, moist one litwick and basically just says, "It doesn't matter where you run, he will still follow." And he's not. Yep. He's not as fast as you, but you need to sleep. He does. He does not. And he'll just keep walking very slowly. He will walk across the ocean floor. And he'll come and get you. It doesn't matter. You just, you cannot, you literally cannot escape. So Dorful is their Robocop. Yep. Uh, there's Constable Visit the Infidel with explanatory pamphlets. Wow. Again, I have to remember these ones. Oh, he's uh, he's he's a minor character. He keeps getting referenced, usually as just um, Constable Visit. Okay. Uh, but he's, um, oh, I can't remember which religion it is, because there are so many religions on the disc, is it the one but he from, is basic. Is it the one from Jelly Belly? Uh, the I don't think so. No, I don't think so. It's, it's um, because it's a take on Purita- uh, Puritanical Christianity oh. and, um, and also sort of Mormonism. Uh, he is, you know, visit the infidel with explanatory pamphlets. That's his name yeah. and his job. <laughs> he keeps trying to convert people. Yep. Uh, you've got Reg, Red Shoe. Oh yeah, Reginald Shoe the zombie. Who's a zombie rights activist. Yep. <laughs> a zombie uh, rights activist. Yep. Yes. He was, right. a, he was an annoying okay. shit when he was alive as well. Yeah. Uh, and it just dying just gave him a cause. There was, there was a vampire as well, isn't there? Yes, Sally von Humperdinck. Yes. I was thinking Otto, but I realised that's the photographer from the newspaper. Yes. Sally von Humperdinck is the vampire officer who is also a spy for Milady. Oh. But Vimes knows she's a spy for Milady. <laughs> Milady being the uh, tyrannical ruler of Uberwald, with whom the patrician is supposedly having a bit of an affair. Mm-hmm. Um, just cheery little throw... bottles we mentioned. Hmm? Did he just throw like a dart at a dartboard full of words when it came to making up the names for these characters. I don't know, like, Detroitus makes a lot of sense, because it's just, it's a bunch of crap. Like, it's just a Yes, trolls are actually named after um, the rock formation that is prevalent in the, the, the place where they were born. So you'll find that sort of feral trolls or, or rural trolls are called things like granite or lime. Uh, but then urban trolls are called things like brick, concrete, and detritus. And what was um, oh, what's, what's, what's the crime lord called? It's slate. Uh, Chrysoprase. Oh God, yeah. Oh no, God, you are right. That was that was way off. <laughs> yes, Chrysoprase, the troll tr- uh, crime lord who conducts his meetings in the Pork Futures Warehouse. Uh, which is when the disc discovered the futures market, it decided that if there was going to be pork in the future, then they ought to build somewhere to put it. Um, 
and somehow the magical manifestation of future pork makes the building incredibly cold. Uh, so it allows Chrysoprase to basically super cool himself and become a genius. Yeah. At one point, Detritus gets locked in there and solves oh, the meaning of life. Pork. Almost, almost solves the meaning of life. Almost, yes. He didn't quite get to the end of the equation. He froze solid. That's the thing about Detritus is that he, I think he's the stupidest of trolls, but it means that when he's cooled enough, he becomes the smartest of trolls. Like, yes, he has, he has the most conductive groups. brain. Yeah, that's the one. And so, but unfortunately, he basically he works out the mathematical equation to the to the meaning of life. He gets as far as equals, and then freezes solid, and then froze solid. So they have to thaw him out to save him, which means he forgets what he was doing. And they're just standing over him, going, "Equals what? Equals what?" And he's like, uh, "What? Huh?" This, this is back when he was uh, private. Was it Sergeant Detroitus? Don't salute. Yes. Because <laughs> if he saluted, he knocked himself out. If you say his name, he will salute. If he salutes, he will punch himself in the head and knock himself out. Right. There's, uh, there is another troll officer. There is Well, there's several, but there's another sort of who goes by name, and that's uh, Constable Downspout, who is actually a gargoyle, oh. which is a, a specially evolved form of troll. There are, there are two others. There's gargoyles and gnolls as well, like the hairy trolls. Mm. Yeah. Uh, gargoyles have evolved in the urban environment to squat on rooftops and eat unexpe- uh, uh, unsuspecting pigeons. <laughs> I love gargoyles. <laughs> so he's a good spy because he can sit motionless on top of a rooftop for days. As opposed to uh, uh, who else is in the who makes a very good siege weapon. <laughs> yes, he does, especially when he's got his the, siege weapon. The peacemaker. The only oh, crossbow on the disc that can take out the front door and the back door at the same time. <laughs> it's technically a flaming weapon because it, it, it's a siege crossbow that fires a, a sheath of bolts. Uh, instead of firing one giant bolt, it fires ten tied together, and it fires them with such fierce velocity that they rub up against each other in the air, turn into splinters, and the splinters catch fire. So it basically launches a giant spiky fireball. It's an incendiary device. Yes. <laughs> and when uh, Mr. Safety catches Jesus. off, Mr. Crossbow is not our friend. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the most most of the watch. The the major characters anyway. Yeah. So they basically as I say they started off as these three guys. Uh, and then their story expanded and expanded, and now it's become an in-universe joke and a means of uh, introducing new species to the disc in a meta sense, that the first thing you do if you're a new species, new in town in Ankh-Morpork, is you join the watch. Yeah. Because Sam Vimes runs a completely equal opportunity cop shop. He hates you all. (laughs) Yep. Fair enough. So yeah, um, Ankh-Morpork. That's that's yeah. Far away from Ankh-Morpork, we have the witches, another sort of sect of characters who have become far more than the sum of their parts. So you've got uh, Nanny Og, who is. Um, I I love that trope of the the, the Nanny Og character, the the, the toothless. Dirty-minded old woman sitting in a pub and just cackling maniacally. The the Johnny yeah, she May dances Dung. with her skirts up. She drinks cider by the pint. She has an a foul, evil old cat. 
uh, and is completely unashamed of her entire life. And has a, a horde of family members like R. Jason. Yes. Yes. You don't <laughs> want to mess with her because she'll get R. Jason around here to have a word with you. Yes, as Zoe points out, she has enough grandchildren, she has lost count. <laughs> She is just she like I always imagine though that she is the Johnny May Young of, of of witches. Yes, you can imagine there with a big fucking cigar or something. Uh, Granny Weatherwax, who is amazing. She, I love Granny Weatherwax. <laughs> the uh, she is the, the true definition of competence in in the disc world. Yes, and the uh, mistress of headology. Which is basically psychosomatic treatment. Uh, she gives you the cure you need to be able to solve the problem on your own. Uh, it's she's a genius psychologist, basically, and that appears to be magic. But there is also a little bit of real magic there as well. Yeah, uh, and oh, is um, uh, Magrat? Magrat, yes. Who is their like their apprentice sort of? She's she's the well. You've got the um, the maiden the, and the mother. The, yes, and she is the maiden. Yeah, she is the young naive girl they're training up uh, to to form their uh, trio, their coven trio. She was, was it? She was supposed to be called Margaret, and someone fucked up the spelling. That's right. Yeah, um, uh, yeah it's uh, it's written down wrong on the birth certificate I think it was yeah. but yeah she's Magrat because that's how it was written yep. and the witches are from um, ah I cannot remember hang on what was that Lanka that's yes. it yes she's- in in very ob- in very obvious reference to uh, Lancashire basically yeah. um, they're, the, they're the northerners they are. They're also responsible for most of the Shakespearean parodies in the disc. Yes, like, uh, was, <laughs> like, like Weird Sisters, which is fucking wonderful. It is. Adam has said that's his favourite. Yeah, Weird Sisters is great. If you, if you love Shakespeare, if you love Shakespeare, Weird Sisters is fucking awesome. So you've got, you've got the witches, you've got... Well, there's the wizards. The wizards, yep. yes. Who have... I, in the in the early books, in the first couple of books, they are put forward as this hyper-competitive, dead man's boots, um, chaotic society where everyone is looking to exploit the people below them and kill the people above them to advance. And then, as they kept turning up, Terry realised that that would be a fairly difficult characteristic to sustain yeah so the problem was solved by the introduction of arch chancellor ridcully who reformed the university and his faculty becomes the sort of stolid uh dependable wizard presence for the rest of the novels he's got his dean he's got his um uh Bursa, Bursa, oh, yes, Bursa it, who is marvellous. Is it it's, the Bursa who it, needs his dried frog pills? Yes, I forget who's the one that dies and doesn't go away. He doesn't become a zombie. He just dies and doesn't stop. Uh, that's one of the professors in the Harry Potter novels. No, no, no it's it, it, oh, 
It's from the same. It's from the same book where they talk about like uh, every time you want to go and open the door in this this old forbidden part of the university, you have to put your hands in your pockets, then raise them and pat your armpits, and then and it's all because like you know hundreds of years ago, some wizard was doing this, and that's now become the tradition, and it's to teach you that traditions are silly. I cannot remember that one. Oh, I've, oh, it must have been Reaper Man or something like that, because that was where people were dying and then just carrying on. Mm. But I, I really like uh, the Bursa because, of course, he can fly. Because um, he's convinced himself he can fly, and he's a wizard. Uh, so they give him these dry, dried frog pills to keep him you know, balanced. It's not sane, it's functional. Yes, he's a fun- uh, and- functionally insane character. And he has one of my favourite lines of dialogue ever, right. which is when he's gone off to talk to William de Word to try and sort out some printing for the university. And at the end of the conversation, he simply says, and now I really must fly, except, of course, I mustn't. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, Rincewind is still ensconced at the university. He is the resident lecturer in Cruel and Unusual Geography. A job that he has been given because he has saved the world many times and he deserves a cushy job in which he doesn't actually have to do anything. <laughs> uh, and Pondus Dibbons, who I adore. Which, which one's Pondus? It's been a really long time. Which one's Pondus? Right. <clears throat> Ponder starts off as quite a minor character in The Wizards. The, the Wizards are all centred around the Unseen University, which is a university <laughs> faculty that just happens to teach magic. Yeah. And Ponder is a geek, and he is pottering about in a department that most of the wizards have no time for, the high-energy magic research department. Oh, yes. And Ponder develops this machine called Hex, which is uh, basically a computer in the disk. Uh, It is not a very reliable computer. It frequently encounters uh, out-of-cheese errors um, (laughs) and occasionally asks you to reboot the universe. But it is brilliant and it leads ponder to realize that he is the only competent man in the university so whilst he starts off as a sort of minor postgraduate student he ends up sort of uh, doing favors for the rest of the faculty taking on jobs they don't want like the master of the traditions referring to traditions, until he basically has so many seats on the council of the university that he actually has the controlling vote. (laughs) Which suits Ridcully fine, because Ridcully doesn't want to do any actual work. So Bond Stibbons is the eminence grease that really runs the university at this point. And that's sort of the way the Discworld works in a lot of ways. (laughs) Yes, isn't it just? Yeah. yeah, he does favours such as um, Arch-Chancellor Ridcully likes playing billiards, but hates tidying his billiards table. So Ponder sets Hex to calculating uh, the magic necessary to basically portal the billiard balls through the piles of paperwork on the billiard table as if they had passed through uh, and there had been nothing in the way. <laughs> Which is a completely frivolous right. use of uh, high-energy magic that is incredibly dangerous, but it does make the Arch-Chancellor happy, and that helps Ponder. Right. He's the, the secret genius of the university. And uh, in, in later university novels, the Dean uh, takes a, uh offer from a rival university and goes off and starts his own high-ending magic research department at that university and becomes the ultimate traitor. And they're, they're, they're all very backstabby still. Yeah. 
Uh, wizards, witches, uh, the watch, death. Um, Cut my own throat, Dibbler, on his own is is a character that we have to mention. Go on, I'm cutting my own throat here. He he has managed to make it through all of the disc from novel one. Uh, again, one of the most enduring characters. He is an entrepreneur. In a, in a city where you know you have all these terrifying things going, he turns up and he will sell anything to anyone. Does he, does he start off as a meat pie vendor? And keeps returning to it. Yes. That's the thing. In every book where he turns up, he will try and exploit the situation to his personal gain, fail, and go back to being a meat pie seller. Yes. Uh, to the point that he's now truly accepted that, and in Making Money, which deals with modernising the banking system in Ankh-Morpork, when uh, Moist von Lipfig starts offering loans, uh, Dibbler turns up, and it's like, ah, Dibbler, what's your latest crazy scheme? And he's like, I want a barrow. A barrow. Yeah, yeah, it's a guy who used to sell baked potatoes out of it. He's going out of business. It's available. Just need the capital. I was thinking... I could sell more meat pies. <laughs> so, I love Dibbler. Dibbler. Right. The thing about a Dibbler meat pie is you don't want to know what's in it. Yeah. <laughs> if you're lucky. Whilst you're eating it, you won't know what's in it. Whilst you're eating it, you will hate yourself. But as soon as you're done... The feeling will begin to grow really that you could do with another. No, 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 it's not that. It's just, it's unidentifiable meat product. It's In no way is it uh, deemed to be threatening. It's just they sound... Uh, right, have you ever gone to see, you know, football on the terraces and bought a pie? And they're terrible. I've, not, I've, I've, I've done that at other things. Yeah, you're familiar with the concept of there is a guy here selling pies. I'm hungry. I'm going to ask no questions. And somehow the brain is going to edit out this trauma and allow me to do this again another day. It's it's that situation. Cut my own throat, Dibbler. Lights me the first light in case I've done that plenty of times. The early bird. I've done that plenty of times at like markets and car boot stuff in relation to burgers. Where it's like, yes, is you know what? I don't care. Give me a burger. I'm hungry. I I believe it's described as cut my own throat. Dibbler's pies are never the thing that you want, but they do have an uncanny tendency to be the right thing for the occasion. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow he's still in business. Uh, and you've got a few sort of one-off characters Somehow. like this that wander through the books. Harry King, King of the Golden River. Don't remember him. Uh, who, you don't remember Harry King? I don't think I do. Oh, he's, you need to read some of the later books. Yeah. I've, I've, I've not... I don't think, what's the, hang on, let me just check what the most recent one I've read is. Uh, Monstrous Regiment. Oh, you've got a lot to I'm, go. I'm ten books behind. Yeah, Harry King is, uh, he takes the piss. He has been officially taking the piss for 20 years. Uh, Literally. Because they don't have indoor plumbing in the disc. It's, it's, you know, it's modernizing in the story, but they're getting there. 
he is the the dunny man. He comes around and empties the lav. He takes away your effluent. He is the guy who cleans the streets. He collects all that shit, literally, that you don't want. And he sells it on to tanneries. He breaks it down into ammonia and sells that on as fertilizer. He's the guy who's turning the sewers into gold. King of the Golden River. Right. <laughs> and he's one of the richest men in Ankh-Morpork, but looked down upon because of the nature of his business. And he actually has quite a meteoric rise and a wonderful storyline uh, when they get to raising steam and he becomes one of the magnets of the railway. Huh. So he, he's he's a great disc figure, an entrepreneur and businessman who will take no shit from anyone except he'll take all of the shit from everyone. <laughs> Jenna's <laughs> question is are these the sort of books we could read to Evie no I would say not yet but absolutely uh, the books grow up with you yeah it's it's like Harry Potter in that regard if you read if you start at the right age to read the first book and you read a book a year you'll keep up with the tone of the books. Oh, okay. Equally, the, the Terry Pratchett books start, there's a little bit of boardiness in there, but it's nothing that isn't PG rated. Yeah. Um, and they get to the point where you, you're going to have to pace it so she doesn't hit Nightwatch until she's old enough to cope with it. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Because okay. Nightwatch, it represents a turning point in the disc world, because what we've been talking about so far is how lighthearted, fun, and, and silly it all is. Right. But Nightwatch, I can't remember where it sits in relation to Terry's diagnosis. It's 2002, it, so... It seems too early. Yeah. Um, it brings about a real dark side to the disc world that I wasn't ready for, but it's become possibly my favourite disc world novel for it. Uh, it's a very grown-up narrative. And it is, I mean, at the same time it's riffing on Les Mis. Yeah. Uh, and having a lot of fun doing it. Right. And it's time but travel. This, yeah. And it's, it's time travel. The story is that um, Vimes is chasing this bad guy called Carver, who is just uh, the most psychotic criminal you could imagine. And mm. they're having a fight on the roof of the university. Magic happens and they are thrown back in time right. uh, within Sam's own lifetime and it all gets a bit quantum leap oh yeah and uh, without wanting to yeah without wanting to spoil anything he becomes his own mentor but right. it's grim it deals with abuse of power police corruption um, loss Fate. Loss in a big way, uh, sadism in the elite. You know, when when people can literally look at other people as disposable, um, it's it gets really <laughs> bloody. Uh, there is a scene where he, as his own mentor, finds the torturer that the Cable Street particulars, the uh, the sort of the special police, uh, set on their victims. 
and he has the guy strapped to a chair. One thing leads to another, and the building is burning down, and he runs and takes Sam out. And Sam is really impressed that he's left the guy in there strapped to the chair to burn to death because it's a fitting end for such a terrible man. And he's like, I can't teach myself this lesson. And goes in to get the guy out. Right. It's So start with Colour of Magic. Okay. M- maybe in a few years. <laughs> but, <laughs> but pace them. Well, Don't there rush. Are, there are young adult books as well. Like, uh, there are, yes. Kids rodents. Hmm. I had forgotten about those. Yeah, there are... And the Tiffany... Yeah, as you say, books for a younger audience set in the world, uh, uh, which uh, you can absolutely start with earlier. They, they mostly deal with uh, the Neck Neck Fiegel, the, the Pixies. So right. they're, they're, they're quite good. Um, but then, yeah, you've got the sort of the main line canon. And they took a turn after Nightwatch. Um, as much as I still love the silliness of early Discworld, and I do, um, I, I'm sort of, at the moment, reworking my way through all of the books, starting from Colour of Magic. Um, I just finished Mort. So I've got a long way to go. But um, after Nightwatch, there is this trend in the uh, reading order. There's the sort of... it's. The Grand Undertaking, the Ankh-Mor Pork stories, the Industrial Revolution stories. And those are my favourites, uh, with The Truth dealing with the first newspaper, uh, going postal, dealing with the postal service, making money, dealing with banking, uh, raising steam, the railways. Uh, and <clears throat> oddly, Snuff fits in there as well. Um, snuff the tobacco product rather than yeah. anything else. Um, and they become much more introspective, much more uh, direct commentary on modern society. Right. And I really, really like that turn. And I love the character of Moist Von Lipvig, who turns up in a few of those books. He's the world's greatest con man. He is. Or the world's worst con man, because he does end up keep, he keeps getting caught a lot. always had that moral judgment. <laughs> Um, yeah, Moist is he's a, a, a condemned conman who is given another chance at life as Vetinari's lapdog, basically, uh, and given all the shitty jobs that Vetinari wants done to modernise the city. Wasn't it that Vetinari gives him the option of, like, you can either do this job for me and go through the door to your left, or you can say no and just go through the door to your right and we'll never speak again. Yes, at which point Moist takes Drumknot's pen because he's very good at stealing Drumknot's pen, Drumknot being veterinary secretary, walks over to the door on the right and drops the pen and listens for the tinkle. And doesn't hear it. And there's, he does not hear it. Which is then repeated, actually, in Making Money, when he's given the same choice, and he goes, oh, yes, shall we play this game again? And he steals the pen and walks over and drops it, and it clatters to the ground. Veterinary is like, you've redeemed yourself. I just know you want a challenge. If you walk out of that door, you're going to go back to being postmaster, and that's perfectly fine. But if you go through that door, you're going to have a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) I love veterinary. Yep. (laughs) Because he's not going to make the same joke twice. Veterinary, right. Some of my favourite facts about Lord Veterinary, Patrician the evil tyrant slash benevolent tyrant <laughs> of Ankh-Morpork. Lawful evil good. 
He has Leonard of Quirm, <laughs> the disc's equivalent of um, Leonardo da Vinci, locked up uh, because he's useful. Right. And visits him occasionally, has chats, uh, and makes sure that none of his inventions are ever made. He also has a right. clock, which I think Leonard of Quirm designed, which he, he had designed very, very carefully. So of the clock are not even or consistent. Right. The clock will tell time, but the ticks and the tocks throughout each minute will vary seemingly at random in a way that makes anyone who is sitting in oh. his waiting room go slowly mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds like it would do. Yep. <laughs> this this is the patrician. He is a player of games within games. His sigil is black on black. It is a black V on a black background. What a dick. Did he used yep. to be an assassin? I can't remember. Oh, yes. Uh, well, he's, he was never an assassin. Oh, okay. But he was trained at the assassin school because it's one of the best private educations money can buy. Yes. He favoured poison. Uh, and he failed his uh, stealth and camouflage exam because the examiner didn't realise he was there. He, he <laughs> failed to turn up. I was there. No, I, I didn't. didn't see you I was there. there the whole time. I didn't see you I there. Didn't see you there. Well. I rather thought that was the point. And he maintains that uh, a true assassin shouldn't wear black in a city. Should wear dark no. greens. Or blues. Because um, night is not black. And if you wear black, you are a silhouette <laughs> in the night. Night is indeed not black. However, his sigil is black on black background, because that right. he wants seen. He's an interesting man. Mm. It sounds it. <laughs> now, was, was I just fan casting in my head, or in the, in the Sky films? Was he played by uh, Charles Dance? I believe he was once. Um, I can't remember the, the actors who played him. Yeah, uh, Charles Dance played veterinary in Going Postal. Yeah, so that was like the fan casting, but yeah, I'm so glad that was actually true, because my god, yep. that's perfect. And Jeremy Irons played him in The Colour of Magic. Ooh, also good. Yes, he was a very good patrician as well. Yeah. So yeah, the disc. Yep. The reading order that... Uh, you link to Irish broadly yeah. breaks them up into the Rincewind novels, which is uh, a good category. He does come back for a lot of stories, uh, but then sort of fades out. The witches novels, the death novels. Mort is only the first of the uh, death novels. There is also Reaper Man. Yeah, we should talk about the death novels actually because they're brilliant. They are. They're <laughs> my favourite like line of books. So there's Reaper Man. In which death... Um, goes on holiday. Goes on holiday. Death is missing. Presumed gone. <laughs> and he goes and becomes a farm boy called... Was it... Is it oh, Tom Dore or something like that? Bill Dore, I think. Bill Dore. Because he just goes, Bill, uh, and then just looks at... Like, just looks around and then goes, uh, door. Because he sees <laughs> a door. But luckily, that is what every vagrant who comes into a farmstead does. They look at a word and go, I'm John... Uh, table. So the woman who so hires him is just like, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yep, perfectly in character. Uh, and while he's gone, people just stop dying, which gets awkward. 
Well, no, no, they they still die. They just oh yeah, they just don't go it. anywhere. Yeah, they don't go oh. anywhere. <laughs> uh, soul music in which Death starts a rock band. Well, is is it the Death starts a rock band? Is it rock music comes to the comes to the Death? Much is, like is, Hollywood did in moving pictures. Yeah. Yes, music with rocks in it. Yeah. Uh, and Death ends up building a motorcycle made out of bones and flying off a cliff edge. Wow. In a very bat-out-of-hell style. Yeah. Which is, I loved the animated film of that because it had Christopher Lee voicing Death. So we got to see animated Grim Reaper on a motorcycle going over a cliff edge, voiced by Christopher Lee going, Oh, bugger! <laughs> yes, that was magnificent. Hogfather. Um, Hogfather, which is wonderful Death because it's... Death Becomes Santa, also uh, a very strong novel for Susan. Oh, Susan's great. Death's granddaughter. Yes, Death's granddaughter Susan, who is a nanny. Uh, (laughs) She's magnificent. She beats up the monsters under the bed with a poker. Yep. And I think that is the the book that gave us that wonderful line of... uh, Death giving a girl a sword for Christmas for Hog Hog's Day or whatever it's called. Oh, I've seen Hog that. Hogswatch yeah. Night. Yes, you, you can't, can't give her that. It's not safe. It's a sword. Of course, it's not safe. It's a sword. They're not meant to be safe. She's a <laughs> child. It's educational. What if she cuts herself? That will be an important lesson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. And a thief of time being the last in the Death series. I think Hogfather's also one of the ones that introduces a whole bunch of different gods and spirits and whatnot as well, including the Argot, including the O-God of Hangovers. Oh, yes, I'd forgotten he was in There it. isn't a God of Hangovers. <laughs> There's an O-God of Hangovers. Although if you really want to talk about the, uh, the gods on the disc, there is an entire novel, Small Gods. Yes. Dedicated to how belief works on the disc, how which religion. I really quite like. Yeah, uh, the more people who believe in you as a god, the more powerful you become. The fewer people who believe in you, the more small and mundane you become. So the world is full of small gods who have barely any belief left in them and might as well just be like a tortoise, an ordinary wild animal like a tortoise. Oh, uh, and pyramids. Uh, Together, pyramids and small gods form a little cluster called the Ancient Civilizations novels on this reading list, which works for me. Yeah. Uh, looking to see if there's any significant ones we've overlooked. It says the good entry points in here. If you're, if you're wanting to get reading, if you want to start at the beginning, or if you want to read more about Rincewind, who is he's perhaps the most iconic Discworld character, or certainly was. Uh, that would be The Colour of Magic, of course. If the witches are your thing, and Zoe would recommend them, they are very much her favourite novel. Because, as she pointed out, Granny Weatherwax always had that biting satire on the world around us that yep. I really like from the uh, the modern novels. Uh, Equal Rights is the way into that. Although I think you can skip that and move straight into Weird Sisters, personally. Mm. Uh, if you want to read about death, Mort is Mort the way is to start. Brilliant. The Watch begins with guard guard, uh, Guards Guards and uh, the Industrial Revolution. They suggest reading moving pictures and then jumping to the truth, which is not a bad idea. Hmm. Yeah, looking at it, going postal and making money are the only two direct sort of 
reading for that particular group. Where all yes. the others are, you know, there are loose, there are now points that will cross over to make. It. And the thing is, there are now novels that would actually go on from there. There would be another direct connection from making money to raising steam, uh, but there would be an indirect link to uh, snuff, which would also have an indirect link from the watch novels. Uh, and there's also Unseen University, which would have uh, a link, possibly. Oh, sorry, Unseen Academicals, which, oh, no, it's up there. It is actually at the end of the Rincewind novels yeah. lineup. But I would also put that in the Industrial Revolution section because it's about the evolution of Ankh-Morpork. Ah. And that is, I think, actually, that's one of the strongest things I can say about the Discworld novels. Unseen Academicals is one of my favourites, and it's about football. Now, if you know me, you'll know how unlikely that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> But as Terry Pratchett himself observed at the time, the thing about a book about football is it's not about football. Yeah. Like so much about football, in fact. <laughs> True. So yeah, with over 40 novels to choose from, there's something there for you. Oh, yeah. And they are... Mm. Mm. Oh, I've got an idea. Mm. I know the one you should start with to reading, reading to Evelyn, Jack. You should start with Where's My Cow? Yes, because that is a children's book. What's that? It is a book for reading to your, to your tiny children. Where's, is that my cow? Where's my cow? It goes flahug. It is a hippopotamus. That is not my cow. Is this my cow? It goes bug rip millennium hand in shrimp. That is foul. <laughs> that is not my cow. <laughs> Doesn't it is a like children's book. So it doesn't volumes the last one to read in the watch. Yeah, because yeah, basically, basically thud because it's what Vimes reads to his son. Is that right? That's right. Oh, yeah, there's right. the the actual book, which is the animal noises, is what he reads to his son at six every night. That's important. Yeah, um, it does also go completely ballistic in thud at some point, I believe, and start quoting it whilst beating people up because it's six o'clock. Yes, uh, and his son <laughs> isn't there. And he's in the middle of this dangerous cavern surrounded by bad guys. So he just goes ballistic and starts reading it at them at a huge <laughs> volume whilst swinging an axe. Uh, <laughs> so the book is referenced in Thud, and then he actually wrote the book. So that's why it's got a direct connection to Thud. Ah, I see. Uh, but there is the wonderful story of Vimes deciding that uh, young Sam uh, was never going to see a giraffe or a hippopotamus, because he lived in a city, and maybe he should have a, a slightly more relevant to his interests version of the story. Uh, and it is that, my daddy. It goes, bugger it, Millennium Hand and Shrimp. It is foul or wrong. <laughs> that is not my daddy. Sam, and look, where's my daddy? Is that my daddy? It goes, that is Coffin Henry. That's not my daddy. And the look that his wife gave him the next morning as their young child looked up at the breakfast table and went, Buglet! Uh, assured him that he would stick to the authorised text from there on in. Yep. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but yeah, just looking through the books, it deals with themes such as Shakespearean parody equal opportunities, the way we raise boys versus girls, uh, the nature of belief, uh, 
foreign adventurism and pointless exploratory wars, journalism, uh, cultural differences. There's a lot here, but you would expect that from over 40 novels. Wow. And even uh, in Jingo, one of my favourite little things about it is Nobby's uh, gender identity exploration. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Which is handled really charmingly for a subject that could be handled really badly. And just thrown up for yucks. Yeah, but it's it's actually dealt with very, very light touch and very kindly that Nobby ends up having to disguise himself as a lady in foreign parts and, and starts to really believe in their cause and gets quite feminist about the whole thing. <laughs> it's quite handy, I suppose, that that culture had veils, given that it's Nobby. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes... That's and the thing is, we've talked mostly about the Discworld, mentioned good omens. That's not all. Oh god no. That's the thing about Terry Pratchett. Johnny and the Dead. Johnny and the Dead. Uh if you wanna read uh books to small children, such as Evelyn, there's the Diggers trilogy as well. <gasps> oh Diggers and Truckers. Yeah. Right. Which are I mean, they are books for small children. And um. Yes, Diggers, Wings, Truckers. It's the Gnome trilogy. That's it. Uh, for young readers, and is, is it the yeah, it's just. People? Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah, the Carpet People was his first book. Yeah, little people that live in the carpet. Yep. Huh. Got uh, yeah, Johnny and the Dead, Johnny and the Bomb, um, Nation, which is a really good book. I don't remember that one. I remember only is it only you can save the world or something like that. Yes, only you can save mankind. Yes, yeah. Uh, Nation was a later and slightly more grown-up book. It's um, an Earth-like world um, where a woman from what is essentially... Oh, no, it's, no, it is. It's a parallel Earth, sorry. A woman from the British Empire is washed up on this island nation. And develops a friendship with one of the natives, despite the fact they can't in any way communicate when they first meet. And it's it's a fascinating story about the noble savage myth and empire and the way we treated people. Uh, it's, it's much more mature and grown up, uh, although there's nothing in there that I think would preclude it from being a, a children's book uh, for a child who had a certain curiosity and you know you were encouraging them to think it's it's a beautiful book and uh dodger similarly oh i really if, like i'm really liking dodger i still haven't finished it yet i've been reading it for like a year and a half now what i love about dodger speaking of sweeney todd <laughs> yeah. what i love about dodger is it feels like it could be a Discworld novel Yes. You know, the, so. the London of Dodger is so close to Ankh Morpork that it really makes it clear that Ankh Morpork always was a parallel for Victorian London, or, yeah. well, earlier to, uh, in the timeline of this world, early to Victorian London. Uh, and Dodger could just be an urchin in Ankh Morpork, but he's written uh, the story of the Artful Dodger with a colourful cast of some fictional and some real people from London's history. Yeah. 
And what it is, is it's Terry's love letter to a city he has been studying the history of all his life. Mm. And it, it's really good. It's powerful stuff, actually. Um, when you put it in context of a story he wanted to tell before the end. Yeah. Uh, and it it is something that he he has a deep and abiding love of London's history, and it really comes through. Uh, I I can't recommend it enough as a, one for adults. But again, I don't think there's anything in there that would preclude children from reading it. Yeah. Oh, and if you like cats, you've got to get the unadulterated cat. <laughs> which is one of his early books. Uh, and it is very simply uh, an illustrated book, again, pretty much a kid's book, about the nature of cats. This has introduced me to concepts that have lived with me throughout my life, such as the fact that cats play cat chess, which is a game where on a street where multiple cats live, they will all play the game of trying to find the place where they can see as many of the other cats as possible, whilst as few of the other cats as possible can observe them. <laughs> uh, this is a game that will take all day a game that will take a lot less time is wet cement uh, <laughs> which is simply leaving poor prints in wet cement at the first opportunity Right. this is a very similar game to a builder's nice new pile of sand <laughs> uh, it details ways to make your uh, garden cat proof there aren't any <laughs> Uh, methods you can try include deep pu- uh, deep pits with spikes at the bottom and the intercontinental ballistic clod of earth. Uh, it's it's just it's a lovely if you like cats, it's yeah. it's a great book. Yeah. Fair enough. And more recently, he wrote a trilogy that I've not started on yet, but I want to. Uh, it was again a collaboration. This time with Stephen Baxter, who is uh, a hard sci-fi author of some repute. And together they wrote a trilogy uh, featuring the books The Long Earth, The Long War, and The Long Mars. Oh, yes. I haven't gotten around to reading any of them yet, but they're all on my list. Rowan's read the first one. She wasn't all that impressed with it. Admittedly. No? But, I mean, mm. it might just not have been her thing. I think it was uh, Long Earth that she read. Uh, mm. she, just couldn't, she just couldn't get into it, but that's that's fair enough, I suppose. Well, uh, if it is, if it's anything like Baxter's normal work, it will be hard sci-fi, and that yeah. is definitely a, uh, a take-it-or-leave-it kind of a thing. Yeah. Oh, the collaboration produced four books I'm reading now, The Long Utopia, yet to be published, Ooh. or, yeah, it's there you go, a posthumous release. Hey, so we've got two. Although it's the fourth in a planned series of five. Oh. Yeah, oh, that hurts. That, oh. Damn it, Death, just just, just check the fucking hourglass. Just tap it a bit. Just, there's got to be a little bit of sand left in there. Turn it over. So yes, and we should, yeah, we should detail, um, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, we've been talking a lot about the career of Terry Pratchett, so I presume you don't know 
who he is if you've been listening through, because otherwise you've been, oh, you might have been nodding along fond recollection and go, yeah, yeah, that was cute. Um, but if you don't know, Terry Pratchett was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's quite young in his life. Uh, not as a hugely young man, but earlier than is fair, shall we say. Yeah. Well, to be fair, any time is earlier than it's fair, but I know exactly. Yes, yeah. yes. He 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 died at the age of 65, which is, for an Alzheimer's patient, it's younger than statistically uh, average. Yeah. And I this is a character who, he wore a wonderful, have you seen the t-shirt he used to wear to conventions? I don't believe so. Uh, he, he wore it whenever he got an invitation. Uh, he, he would wear the same T-shirt, and it was it was magnificent. It simply reads, uh, Tolkien's dead. J.K. Rowling said no. Philip Pullman couldn't make it. Hi, I'm Terry Pratchett. Oh. Yes, I have seen that, yeah. Uh, he was an eccentric. He was, uh, he was knighted. He made the sword out of Yes. Uh, and Zoe has indeed come in to tell me the thing I was about to tell you, uh, that upon his being knighted, he decided to meet the obligation of a knight of the realm to carry a sword in its defence. And he dug up a meteorite, because he wanted a space sword. <laughs> and he had his sword crafted for him from meteorite metal. So, and, and then... So that he would never use it, because if he did, he would cause someone a serious injury, he buried it. Uh, so somewhere in this country is buried Sir Terry's space sword. Is that the best treasure hunt? Potentially it could be now, yes. That could be a fairly magnificent treasure hunt. Um, did you know Terry Pratchett has his own coat of arms? I'm not surprised. He does love heraldry and he is a knight. Do you know what, uh, well, where is it? Do you know what the, uh, uh, I just had it right there. Do you know what the, um, Latin, uh, inscription is? Uh, no, you tell it's me. Don't, it's don't fear the reaper. Ah, I like it. Very nice. Hang on, let me, uh. Does it have an ank on it? Uh, not that I, it does, right in the middle. Sorry, right in the middle. I couldn't see one, and I was like, "Oh no, right, yeah, it is right there." That's good. And does yeah. it have an owl? It does. I'll link it to you. Marvelous. There it is. Because I would bet that the owl is a specific species of owl, the moorpork. <laughs> yep, that's an ank and a moorpork. Yep. Oh, that's beautiful. No to Mary Messerum. Don't fear the reaper. So yes, a noble knight of the realm. Services to literature, of course. I I say that. I assume so. <laughs> I, I didn't knight him. Yep. But if you could have done, you would have done. Oh, God, yes. Um, yes, services to literature, of course it was. Uh, officer of the Order of the British Empire. Um, award winner. Inspiration. Uh- and inspiration to great filmmakers as well. I'm just looking at the his quotes about his uh, various movie attempts. Uh, did you real? Did you know DreamWorks commissioned a Trucker's adaptation? I didn't. They should do that. Yeah, Pratchett quoted saying, 
it's it's going ahead, but it won't happen until after Shrek seventeen. <laughs> um, there was a rather wonderful uh, BBC radio adaptation of Good Omens very recently, uh, in which Terry had a cameo, huh. along with Neil. I'm surprised you haven't listened to this, Jack. I I haven't. Uh, you should check it out. I think you would enjoy it a great deal, uh, seeing as I know how much you like Good Omens. Yep. Uh, it was a, a magnificent cast, done brilliantly well. But no, you know the um, the police who pull Crowley over? Yes. Or try to pull Crowley over? <laughs> yes. Uh, they were officers Neil and Terry. Oh. Oh, that's lovely. Yep, it was brilliant. Um, I'm trying to find the the whole cast... <laughs> It was it was a rather brilliant cast. Uh, bear with me whilst I Google madly um, and fill dead air by talking about it as I do. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. Because that's the thing that happens when we can't find what we're looking for on Google. So, yes, Mark Heap played a zero fail. Uh, Peter Serafinowicz is Crowley. Perfect. Yep. Uh, Nicholas Briggs is the Metatron, which was a great choice. Mm-hmm. Who else did we have? Um, Patterson Joseph was famine. Oh, yes. And Harry Lloyd is pollution. I know that name, Harry Lloyd. You, you do know that name. Um, you, you know his voice. I'm not sure what you know it from. Hang on, let me just double check this <laughs> again. We're checking stuff on 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 the, the, the in the middle of the episode. I do apologize. We can we can edit all this out because this isn't live. Hmm. Uh, Viserys from Game of Thrones. Yeah, Viserys from Game of Thrones is one of his biggest recent roles. Oh, that guy. Yeah, I didn't see. Mm-hmm. I was looking at the face going. He looks familiar. And then I was like, he needs a big silly wig on him. That's what he needs. Absolutely. Uh, and as I said, the uh, oh Agnes Nutter is Josie Lawrence, yeah, <laughs> which is a, a, she's brilliant in the part. Yeah, Simon Jones, as in um, Simon Jones from Hitchhikers, is in there as Mister Young. Oh, cool! I've also, just noticed how much how much uh, Harry Lloyd looks like Killian Murphy. He does a bit, doesn't he? Yeah, it's in the it's in the mad staring murderous eyes. I love that. But also, mostly, the guy who played Viserys is 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 it was in a TV miniseries called The Hollow Crown. <laughs> but yes, it's mostly a, just a tour de force by Mark Heap and Peter Serafinowicz doing wonderful things. Yeah, I got a Colin go. Morgan as Pulsifer. <laughs> oh man. So, do we have anything else on Terry? Um. Oh man, just went. We're not going to see the games in a while. The games. We're oh, a game. God. We're a gaming podcast. We should. We, talk, we, we talk can't. About we cannot walk away without talking about the Discworld adventure games. Can I? Can I just suggest maybe? Can we do a full episode on them? I like that idea. Yes. Yeah. They. They are. They have been mentioned in the past to be a to be a, an episode back when we were just they have. games. They were they were even uh, requested by someone. I can't remember who it was. I believe was it Adam? I believe. So. I think it was Adam. Yeah, 
Was no, it one of these cases? You might, might want to be on the show. Again, I yeah. say, wasn't it one of these situations where we asked, we, we didn't do it because we thought that he wanted, he would want to be on the show for it? Yes, that, that might have been it. Adam, if you're listening, and also when we tell you, yeah. um, <laughs> be on the show. Come join us and talk about them. Yeah. There is a, however, speaking of games of the Discworld variety, I've got an idea, guys. What? Does anyone want does anyone want to go play the Discworld mud? I didn't even <laughs> know there was a Discworld mud. Yeah, it's been going since 1991. Wow. <laughs> oh, one thing I want to say. Two things I want to say before we leave this actually. Yep. If you don't want to read the novels, there are two different sets of audiobooks. There are abridged audiobooks of the Discworld novels read by Tony Robinson, which are pretty good. And there are unabridged, where the first set of books, I can't remember where it hands over, uh, but they are read by Nigel Planer, who does a pretty good job. But he hands off to Stephen Briggs, who does an amazing job. They're really good productions. uh, A lot of fun to listen to. He he does a good performance. Character voices. They it's you can always tell when you start reading the books and you're hearing the narrated character voices along with the dialogue. You know they got them right. Um. So there was that. I've forgotten what the other thing I was going to say is, but there wasn't uh, something else that has just come back into my mind. The nicest tribute I've seen to Terry mm. was. In Going Postal, which is about modernising the postal service, there is reference to the clacks, which is a semaphore system that is threatening to put the post office out of business. And whilst it is a semaphore system, as everything in the disc is an analogy for something else, it is also very clearly the internet. The clacks coders are the the hackers of the disc. Um, And they have a tradition, which is the clack sends overhead messaging, which is message from tower to tower, you know, important um, housekeeping stuff that is never going to be for public consumption. And they slip the name of (laughs) dead clacks workers into the overhead because there's a superstition that a man is not dead until his name is no longer spoken. Right. So in every clax message, their names get uh, appended as overhead. Well, someone has written a modification for the Apache web server, which is the software that serves up most of the web pages on the internet at this point, I would bet. And it adds a header. Every time you view a web page, you receive overhead headers, which is information from the server to your browser about how it should handle the web page, boring stuff like what version of HTTP it was written in, how long it should cache it for, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But right. modified servers will send an additional header that simply reads X clacks overhead GNU Terry Pratchett. Oh. Because a man is never dead while his name is still spoken. That is beautiful. My favourite little ones I've seen is basically on the lines of uh, Death appearing next to Terry. And Terry's like, oh, wait a second, let me grab my hat. 
Mm. And he reaches into the dark abyssal void that is his cloak, pulls out a book, yeah, the 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 color of uh, obsidian, and hands it over to ter- Terry and says, "Can I have your autograph? Big fan." <laughs> it's like, oh, that was sweet. So yeah. Don't think of it as dying. Think of it as leaving early to avoid the rush. Hmm. Damn it, 2015. Hell, man. Yeah. I'm hoping we don't do many more. Yeah, I'm hoping we don't do many more tribute episodes this year. Yeah. (laughs) Let's see if we can make it it through April. You know? (laughs) Don't don't tempt fate. No, well, like I say, with with the with the the panel thing, I have opened it up to the, the, the there's a potential like if we have enough time at the end to open it up to the public. So uh, don't let them get us into an argument over dead people. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, oh. I think that brings us nicely to a close. Yeah, and we'll be back for the Discworld games. We will indeed. Okay, so you have been listening to a celebratory but somber episode of World One Stage One. I have been Simon. I have been Jack. And I have been Irish. Goodbye. Bye.